Humanist Take on the World, Episode 10. What are we going to do about these guns? Welcome to another episode of Humanist Take on the World. I am Dustin, and it's just going to be me this time. But before we get into the topic, got a couple things to go through. Uh, first off, you know, having gotten adjusted to the new format and flow and release rate on the show, it's been very nice having more time for other projects and spending time with the family more. Lauren's doing better in some ways, so it's been nice getting to spend more evenings with her. And so, yeah, I've decided Schisms is done. I'm not going to keep trying to bring that back. So uh, if you were still subscribed to it, the feed's the feed is now dead. I know there have been a few people really hoping that would come back. It's an idea that I do like. I might do it again later. Maybe that's what I'll do podcasting-wise in my 40s or 50s, but not for now. And in other news, uh, we've got a sale on the, st- on the store. Uh, 35% off from June 22 to 26. Some stuff's actually 40% off, and you can find that at htotw.com slash store. So now let's go ahead and move into the topic. This is also one of the things about the show release cadence every other week and having specified topics is uh, big news events often get skipped, but then when they keep happening, then they have to be covered. And I'm sure we're all tired of hearing about mass shootings, but this is something that does need to be, the pressure needs to keep up on it because the mass shootings aren't stopping. I'm recording this on June 12. The data I've got here on some of the recent shootings, uh, I pulled a week ago. So it's not even that fresh, but it doesn't need to be. May 14, 10 dead and three injured at Tops Friendly Markets in Buffalo, New York. That was an 18-year-old white supremacist who bought a AR-15 and went to a grocery store in a black majority neighborhood in Buffalo, New York, and started shooting people. May 24, 22 dead, 18 injured at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. That was an 18-year-old who bought an AR-15 and went and shot up the elementary school in town. June 1, 5 dead at Warren Clinic in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This was a patient who was pissed off at his doctor who did his shoulder surgery. So he went and killed the doctor and a bunch of the staff. June 4, 3 dead, 11 injured on South Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And June 5, 3 dead, 14 injured outside of a bar in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Both of those were basically fights that broke out. Maybe. Maybe fights. Maybe just somebody wanted to go shoot people. Broke out in the middle of weekend drinking with crowds out and about, killing and injuring a bunch of people. This is a problem that's been going on for years. It's been getting worse for years. And it's, it can be solved. Gun violence in America is still rising. That includes homicides. That includes mass shootings. The rates continue going up. Yes, it is a complicated topic. There are a lot of things at play, but other countries have fixed this. Australia had a mass shooting, one, 
they had very high rates of gun ownership. They did a massive buyback, banned a bunch of types of guns, and required registration for, and licensing for anybody who still had them. And in the process, got rid of more than 99% of the guns in their country. Britain, Germany, France, Japan, China, they all have very restrictive rules on guns. Yes, if you want to get a gun, you can get a gun. Like in the case of Japan, it can take decades to go through the training, background checks, and licensure to actually be able to get a gun. Now, I'm not suggesting that's the solution for the U.S., but we need to do something about it. I'm not necessarily in favor of just prohibiting gun ownership for private citizens. But that's not the problem. The problem is weapons of war. There is ideology in the right, on the right wing that the citizens must be armed sufficiently to be a threat to their government, to keep the government from trampling their rights. That's complete bullshit. It made sense, could have made sense, in the 18th century and the early 19th century. That stopped making sense around the point that the machine gun was invented in the mid-19th century. It makes even less sense since tanks and armored vehicles were developed during World War I and World War II. And it makes absolutely no sense when the government has the United States military. You would have to be a billionaire Assuming complete unfettered access to all weapons, you would need to be a billionaire to be able to stand up to the federal government, militarily, violently, because you'd need fighter jets. That's the world we live in now. Guns don't do that much <laughs> compared to tanks and fighters and artillery and all the real big stuff. Now, fortunately, private citizens can't get a hold of those things. Planes, yes. Fighter jets, no. And it's for good reason. We had an assault weapons ban for 20 years. And when it was allowed to expire, it allowed for the sale of AR-15s, AK-47s, or AK-47 style guns, and other assault rifles. They are semi-automatic, can be modified to be fully automatic, and they are designed specifically to kill humans. That's all they're made for. They are not hunting rifles. There are hunting rifles, and nobody's talking about banning them. They're not self-defense pistols. And also, nobody's talking about banning those. They're weapons designed specifically to murder large numbers of people. Well, specifically, they are weapons designed to be used in a combat situation. <laughs> we shouldn't want that in the streets of and countryside of our country. But that's what we have now. In 2006 or 7, uh, when I was in Michigan at the 7th Avenue Theological Seminary, I was uh, still involved with Civil Air Patrol, and the unit I was a part of in southwestern Michigan uh, had a member who, in his day job, uh, worked for one of the local governments. And he went, sat through a Homeland Security briefing and then told us about some of the stuff that he learned from that, which was 
They did the analysis and found that the most effective terrorist attack would be for a gunman to open up fire in a mall parking lot to make it so that people don't feel safe anywhere. Inside of a grocery store, downtown in the bar district on a Saturday night. Yeah, that and elementary schools. That makes it so that people don't feel safe anywhere. Unfortunately, this isn't the actions of an organized group, an organized terrorist group that can be specifically targeted. These are the actions of radicalized, extremist, and disturbed American citizens who shouldn't have access to weapons of war. So, what can actually be done about this? The U.S. Senate has completed its bipartisan negotiations to finally get the framework for a bill that can actually get passed. It's not perfect. It's not what most people want. But it's what can get 60 votes in the U.S. Senate. So it's probably the best we can get. Uh, what's included in the bill, or the, the future bill, <laughs> uh, as, as soon as it's written, uh, it will be able to get a vote, um, but it hasn't been written yet. Uh, it will include monetary incentives for states to pass and implement red flag laws. These are laws that allow law enforcement when there is concern that somebody is going to commit an act of violent, an act of violence, when there is concern that somebody is going to commit an act of violence, to go take the person's guns. So this would allow family members to call in concerns, or if law enforcement comes across scary messages on message forums. Conceivably, if New York and Texas had red flag laws, these could have the Buffalo and Uvalde shootings could have been avoided. It includes expanding background checks for people between the ages of 18 and 21. That might help. Um, background checks are the minimum that can be done. Uh, the two biggest shootings out of these recent shootings were committed by 18-year-olds. And if they'd had a harder time buying those guns, it could have stopped them especially if they're red flag laws, because that could have produced a scenario where that stuff might get looked at a little more. And the bill also includes money to improve school safety and additional money for mental health resources. There are at least 20 senators who have worked very closely to produce this bill. Uh, at least 10 of them are Republicans. So assuming all Democrats in the Senate support the bill, it will pass. It's far from perfect. Uh, it does very little, but it's something. And something is better than nothing. The U.S. House bill is way better, <laughs> uh, but would never pass the Senate. So it's not what we're going to get. Uh, but it is interesting to still look at. Uh, it would raise... The age to purchase semi-automatic rifles, in other words, assault rifles, 221. So 18, 19, and 20-year-olds would not be able to buy assault rifles anymore. That would have prevented both the Buffalo and Uvalde shootings. The bill would also create an Amber Alert-type notification system for mass shootings. Um, the House has pledged to do hearings on 
actually banning assault rifles. Uh, but it's never going to pass the Senate. So what would be the real solutions that could actually be done? The first and simplest would be to reinstate the assault rifle ban. This would not be, this would not take away anyone's guns. It would just prevent people from being able to buy new assault weapons. While there are still too many already out in circulation, that would have at least stopped the Buffalo and Uvalde shooters because they were new guns they bought specifically to do that. Uh, the second option that's being talked about that would have actual effects would be to ban high-capacity magazines. These are the ones that allow for 30 rounds of ammunition to be in the gun at the same time. And with 30 rounds versus, say, 10 or 8, you can kill a lot more people a lot faster. Uh, banning assault rifles and banning high-capacity magazines does not stop or prevent mass shootings. It makes them less lethal, though. When to get that kind of kill count, you would have to have a duffel bag full of weapons and to be changing magazines rapidly. That would make it a lot harder for mass shooters to kill as many people. And it increases the chances that as soon as the person tries to reload or grab a different gun, that somebody could tackle the shooter. So again, it wouldn't solve the problem completely, but it would reduce the lethality. A real solution to help would be to fund very generous buyback programs. Uh, the House has talked about doing this with uh, high-capacity magazine bans. Uh, it would also be something that should absolutely be included in any assault rifle ban, where anybody who has one who wants to get rid of it can get full retail value back. It can't be pennies on the dollar. It needs to be generous. Possibly even make it so that it's cheaper to, or you get more money out of doing the buyback program than you get from selling it to somebody doing a private sale. If you can do that, it increases the chances that they get removed from circulation and the fewer weapons of war are in circulation, the less likely they are to be used in mass shootings. The 2005 Gun Manufacturer Shield Law absolutely needs to be rescinded. Uh, this was a Bush-era provision that was kind of paired with the expiration of the assault weapons ban to make it so that you can't sue the manufacturer of a product for the product being used for its intended purpose. But only if it's somebody who manufactures guns. That is absolutely absurd. If a company manufactures and sells a product designed to kill people, you should be able to sue them if that product is used to kill one of your family members. That is perfectly reasonable. It happens to car manufacturers all the time when they have design flaws that result in people's deaths. It happens to baby toy manufacturers when their stupid toys end up killing kids. It's standard consumer protections to be able to sue companies for their products killing people. Gun manufacturers shouldn't be special. We also need to have reasonable ages, minimum ages, 
to own various classes of guns. I know it goes against a lot of the principles of universal suffrage and full rights of citizenship for everyone 18 and over, but 18-year-old boys are idiots. So are 24-year-old men. I wouldn't be particularly concerned if you had to be 40 to buy an assault rifle, that it'd be used incorrectly. Okay, yes, that would still not be ideal, but (laughs) if we had some reasonable limits, such as you can get a hunting rifle at 18, you can get a handgun at 21, you can get whatever else is legally available at 26, that would reduce the amount of shootings that we see. By and large, the worst mass shootings are very young men. And that would be one of the biggest actions to actually reduce the number of shootings. Uh, Absolutely universal background checks is a complete no-brainer. Every private sale should require a background check. That also means all sales would need to be registered somewhere so you could verify that a background check was done. Even if it's just to log the sale. Yeah, absolutely. Red flag laws are a no-brainer. We can't make pre-crime a crime. So we don't want to start making it a crime to be planning an act of violence. Okay, while in a perfect world, while you could argue about whether or not it should be a crime to plan an act of violence, at the very least, if you're suspected of doing that, your ability to carry that out should be eliminated. Uh, And red flag laws are the best way to do that. And for kind of the final real-world solution on this, uh, the NRA needs to go away. It used to be an organization that supported hunter safety and education and access and awareness. It's become a grotesque tool of Russia to sow discord in the United States and promote violence in the United States. It's disgusting, and it needs to go. And finally, I want to cover two areas that are red herrings in this discussion. They are important topics in and of their own right, but when it comes to talking about gun reform and safety, these are red herrings on the topic. They are not the actual issue at hand. First off is mental health. The U.S. used to have a comprehensive mental health system. It was grotesque, disgusting, and inhumane. So it was dismantled. When the asylum system was dismantled, there was supposed to be a robust replacement ready by the time the last asylums were closed. And it was never built which has left a hodgepodge system with poor access, punitive (laughs) co-pays. Well, heck, okay, let's just, even getting into, just getting into that. The co-pay system and the co-insurance system that drives, that that is, is fundamental to the U.S. health insurance system is inherently designed to discourage use. The fact that co-pays are required to visit a psychiatrist or a therapist, and that there are copays on antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, antipsychotics, and other psychiatric medications 
means the system doesn't want patients to access that care. That is one of the most disgusting things going on in our country right now. If we want to talk to access about access to care, if we want to talk about improving care, first step is get rid of the bullshit barriers to care. A lot of people, especially people with mental illness, have a hard time holding down jobs. And if you have a hard time holding down jobs, it's going to be hard. Keep on to employer-sponsored insurance. Keep in consistent insurance. And to be able to afford the co-pays. And if you need something that's better than the currently available generics on most insurance plans, that medication is insanely expensive. And there are grounds to argue that improving mental health care in the United States would reduce the amount of gun violence we have. It's possible. But it is a red herring because most of the people who are the type that are going to commit violence wouldn't be taking advantage of readily available mental health care anyway. The problem is big. And the Venn diagram between the two have a much smaller overlap than politicians want us to think. Where Republicans try to use this as the ultimate red herring on the topic is to commit an act of mass violence, by definition, you are mentally ill. Therefore, because a normal, healthy person doesn't do that. The problem is, but all that, does go, all that goes to do is dismiss the issue, which is, why do all of these people keep having such easy access to guns? in the first place, and it increases the stigma towards people who accept they have mental health problems and actually get the care and help that they need. And the other red herring is school security. I have a four-year-old. In the fall, she will be starting pre-K at the local elementary school. I absolutely want my daughter to go to a school that is safe and will not have a random person show up and shoot up the place. Absolutely. I also don't want my daughter's elementary school to look like a prison in any way whatsoever. I don't want her to be scared going to school. And if we arm teachers and have armed guards all throughout the schools and put up razor wire fences around schools and increase the security checkpoints, and do more metal detectors, I don't think that's a place she'd feel safe going. One of the other reasons why this is a huge red herring on the topic is there have been, what, five school shootings in the last five years? If we look at the last 20, it's not a whole lot of them. There are thousands and thousands of schools around the country Changing the schools is not a cost-effective or effective or reasonable place to start to address the problem. The best place to address the problem is to actually address the problem and get rid of assault rifles and make it a lot harder for 
the kind of people who want to do harm with guns to get the guns they need to do the harm they want. That's the real solution. Uh, from Greg via the old website. Just discovered your podcast and like your leaders behaving badly angle. Uh, that was fun while it lasted. And uh, now there's just too many of them to keep up with. So I've decided it's not healthy to continue to be looking at them unless they're behaving really, really bad. Uh, anyway, so back to what he was writing, uh, because man, there's a lot of material there. Uh, it's comforting to me that there's an atheist community because religiosity seems so prevalent. Anyway, I thought you might enjoy unsolicited this original atheist slash sacrilegious song. Uh, it is Call to Lucifer by Greg Thompson, and the link to it on YouTube is in the show notes. And from Wolf via the new website. Hi, my name is Wolf, and I listen to your broadcast from time to time. I published a children's book about humanism and evolution. Uh, is it possible to mention this book on your program? Wolf, absolutely. Uh, he wrote on a little bit more. The book is called Adam the Ape, and it's a combination of an adventure novel with scientific epilogues. Having an understanding of evolution and growing up free from religion is very important for every child in the world, in my opinion. Here is a review of Adam the Ape where you can have a first impression, uh, and it's for kids 8 to 14 years old. Uh, kind regards from Cologne, Germany, and the links are in the show notes. Uh, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, remember the sale on the store at htotw.com slash store, June 22 to 26. If you want to leave us some feedback, you can do so at htotw.com slash contact. You can leave us a voice message at 208-996-8667 or htotw.com slash speakpipe. And you can support the show on a monthly basis on Patreon or just one time via PayPal, credit, debit, Apple Pay, or Google Pay. And you can find all the links at htotw.com slash donate. Until next time, this has been Humanist Take on the World. And remember, not all those who wander are lost. 